The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Hey everybody, good morning again. Good morning. I am Pastor Chris. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. We are glad that you're here. Happy Father's Day. We are in uh, week three of this summer series, kind of a um, kind of a favorite traditional, uh, as a summer tradition here at Coastal, definitely a favorite series over the years, uh, called At The Movies. Basically, we, what we're doing is we're using either current or popular movies really just as a hook uh, to talk about some spiritual themes, uh, to direct people to the Word of God and to point them to truth. Uh, last week, in fact, our good friend Scott Huff uh, used the movie uh, Civil War, uh, Captain America, talked about uh, living life on mission. And then uh, a couple weeks before that, I used the most recent Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens, uh, to talk about the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the Holy Spirit is not a mystical, uh, mythical uh, force, uh, that he is the third person of the Trinity, and we talked about his role in our lives today. Well, today, uh, since it's Father's Day, we're going to look at the movie X-Men, The Apocalypse. Uh, Raise your hand if you've seen any, any of the X-Men movies. That's probably a good chance that most of you probably have uh, because there's been nine of them in the last 16 years. Now, the idea of this latest movie is that this ancient mutant, uh, the apocalypse, as he is called, uh, awakens. And basically he plans, of course, to cleanse the world, uh, cleanse the earth and take over the world. Uh, leading uh, the X-Men, of course, to band together to try to stop him and defeat his team of renegade mutants. Now, I know I've just thrilled you to death and you're ready to go see this latest movie if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, Well, like all the movies, I think uh, all of the themes, uh, excuse me, all the X-Men movies, there's a lot of obvious uh, themes in this movie and and I could go a lot of different directions. You know, and talk about a lot of different things this morning. Obviously, the name, you know, the apocalypse, you know, I, we could go to the book of Revelation and, and talk about the end of the world. Uh, discrimination is an obvious theme in the movie. Diversity, uh, free will, uh, good versus evil, revenge, all those things. They're, they're interwoven not only into this movie, uh, but into all of the movies in this series. But since today is Father's Day, um, I, here's where I want to go today. Uh, in the movie, uh, of course, Charles Xavier, he's one of the main characters in, in all of the movies, basically. But he continues to believe, you know, against all hope, that uh, each one of these mutants that exist on planet Earth uh, has been given a gift. You know, that their powers, that their abilities that they all have, and they all have different ones, uh, they are gifts. And, in fact, there's this great exchange in this movie where he tells uh, Scott Summers exactly that, that, that you've been given a gift. And they kind of go back and forth a little bit and, you know, summer scoffs like, you know, come on, you know, it it doesn't feel like a gift. You know, it it doesn't feel that way. And then Xavier replies, it never does. Uh, In fact, Jean Grey, there's another scene where Jean Grey, this this woman, she's really afraid of all of these energies and that she feels churning within her, all these powers. And so she tells Xavier, you know, I'm afraid that one day I'm going to end up hurting somebody. And to which Xavier replies, everyone fears that which they do not understand. You will learn to control your powers. You'll learn to control this gift. Most of their lives, all of the X-Men and these mutants in in the movie and in the movies, uh, they have been told that they have to hide their gift. Now, Charles Xavier believes that, well, really what they need, they shouldn't have to hide their gift. 
They just need to come to my school. You know, they need some training. They need support. They need to be in a community where they could develop their gift and end up using it for the good of humanity. Uh, and, and basically, that, that's the battle. That's the battle, uh, the internal battle, and, and ended up being the outward battle that you see most of the X-Men face in this movie and in every one of the other, you know, eight movies. You know, are they going to use their powers, whatever gift that they have, they all have these different gifts, are they going to use them for good or for evil? Are they going to use them for destruction or for salvation? Now, here's the hook. I believe that that is a common battle. In fact, I believe that, that that's a battle that every man in this room faces today. Uh, you've been given a gift, men. The gift of manhood. Uh, God-ordained masculinity. But because of all the confusing voices in our world today, and I would say the lack of godly male role models, most of your life you've basically been told that you have to hide that gift. That, you know, you've got to blend in. Or, and this is so typical of the world that we live today, we go to these extremes, right? You've basically been told that you have to, you have to become or go to one of two extremes. You know, either you become this, you know, good old boy, macho maniac, or just to be an emotional mamby-pamby sissy boy, okay? That's basically the two extremes that most men are left with. I believe that you have been given a gift for a reason. Now, the question is, are you going to use that gift of manhood for your own selfish purposes, or will you use it for the kingdom of God? Will you use it for God's kingdom and God's purposes? I am tired. I am sick and tired of men turning in their man card. I'm tired of seeing men in our world today, men in our culture, not stepping up, not manning up the way God has called you to. I'm tired of men losing this battle. So I want us to talk about it today. In fact, here's where, where we're headed. Men, I think you are needed today more than ever before. I believe that. I, I think if there was ever a time in our world today, ever a time in our culture, a day when our families and our churches, our communities, Charleston, the world, needed faithful, godly men, today is that day. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I want to read this. It's toward the end of this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinth church. And they're having all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues. And he uses some language, by the way, and we'll, I'll refer to this later on, uh, some, some military language. Actually, in Greek, you don't see it here in English, but uh, in, in the original Greek language, these are military terms, military language that he uses. And he says this on the top of your outline, on the screen. Be on the alert... Stand firm in the faith. And then what are the next three words? Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. If you're taking notes, uh, circle that phrase, underline it, act like men. Highlight it, star it. What in the world is he talking about? Well, again, that's what I want us to do today. I want to break down uh, these two verses that contain basically Five commands, five imperatives. 
Uh, and then, as I said, there's a lot of military language that's being used here. Basically, what he is doing is this is a call to arms for men. And he's challenging men, hey, stand up. Be a man. Be a real man. Act like one. Be, be God's man. Now, my prayer today is that these commands, these five imperatives, are going to help all of us today recognize the important role that men do have in our families, in our churches, and in our communities. And it is Father's Day. Women, you had your day on Mother's Day. Uh, Today is Father's Day. But really, this applies to all of us, and I think you'll see why. Number one, if you're taking notes, men, stay alert. And really, I could say parents, stay alert. In fact, verse 13 says, be on the alert. Let's talk about some of the things, some of the ways in which we need to be alert. I think dads, one of the things early on, in fact, this morning, I hope your heart was touched as you see all of these parents up on the stage today with their young children, their babies. You know, one of the things that we need to be alert to are these subtle changes that are taking place in our children today. Just the subtlety, the subtle changes that happens in their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember uh, when my children were very, very first born, and I got to hold them for the very first time. I mean, wow, what an awesome experience as a dad. In fact, I can remember, you know, again, especially the first child, Lydia, uh, holding her and looking down at her and, you know, just being overwhelmed with just, you know, her beauty and me thinking, you know, how perfect she was. I didn't think that about Christopher, but Lydia, no, I'm just teasing, I did. I did. Um, but again, the, you remember the first child, and, 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 I, and here, here's one thought. That, you know, parents, you know, I'm sure you might have had the same thought too, right? And I'm holding her and I'm looking into her beautiful you know, eyes thinking, I can't imagine ever getting upset with you. You know, you're, you're just so beautiful and perfect. I, I'll never have to discipline you, you know? You'll never do anything wrong. How many of you remember? You remember having those thoughts, right? And then like, it did not take very long, just a little bit later. How many of you remember having these thoughts? Where did that demon seed come from? What evil forces on the planet produced this thing? You know? Parents, here's what I'm saying. You've got to remember that your children we're born with the same moral handicap that every human being ever since the fall was also born with. And that's sin. You know, Proverbs twenty two fifteen says that folly is bound in the heart of a child. You know, that, 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 that they come into the world with a sinful nature. I mean, every, you know, listen, every parent, don't you all, you know, realize, right, very quickly that you don't have to teach your little perfect bundle of joy to be selfish, do you? You know, how many of you actually sat down and taught your children how to throw a temper tantrum? You didn't have to, right? They come out of the womb quite able and capable to do all of that and more on their, on their own. Now, I realize that a lot of what I'm saying today, that this kind of cuts across the grain of modern psychology, contemporary sociologists, you know, a lot of whom believe, namely, that all human beings are basically good at heart and that children are born with a blank slate and all they really need is the right kind of environment, the right kind of education, and they will all blossom into their goodness. Hogwash! 
You know, that's crazy talk. The Bible paints, in fact, a different picture. The Bible says that thanks to Adam and Eve, we are all basically rotten to the core, and we are born into a sinful environment. In fact, David wrote, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. In other words, the Bible says that the heart of every child, every, every human being, even at a very young age, there's a selfish nature. And so the point I'm making, mom and dad, and say, you've got to be very careful not to be naive to that. Naive about that and be alert to it. In fact, for example, when little, loving, helpful hints come your way that your child needs some redirecting and correcting, don't ignore it. You know, stop blaming it on other people. <laughs> stop saying for the millionth time, they're tired. They need a nap. They're tired all the time, evidently, you know. You know, every time they go to Walmart, they're tired, you know, whatever, come on. Listen, stop rationalizing it. Stop blaming it on other people. Look at your wife and say, man, they are sinners. They need a savior. They need Jesus, you know. Listen, if, if Miss Janet, our children's director, or one of our loving nursery volunteers, tells you that your little precious bundle of joy has been punching the other children in the nursery, you know, don't say, wow, there's a future NFL linebacker, you know, right there. And, Woo, she's going to be the next great lady wrestler. You know, no, they need help. You know, if, if a teacher one day pulls you aside and needs to have a talk to you about your child and their, and hey, we need to address some behavioral problems that I see, don't be unapproachable. You know, don't let your go-to be defensive. You know, what gives you the right to correct my child? Listen, that's not you sticking up for your child. That's you setting them up for a lifetime of grief later on. So be alert. It, it begins there as a parent. Now, along with being alert to the heart of your child, parents, mom and dad, you've got to be alert to your child's enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be self-controlled and what? Alert. Be alert, wake up. Your enemy, the devil, the evil one, Satan, he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for your children to devour. Jesus said that Satan is the deceiver, he is a thief, he is coming to your home, to your family, to steal, kill, and destroy. And you need to be aware of it. You've got to be alert. Paul says, be on your guard. And again, we don't really see this, but there's actually, this is military language, and he's, he wants you to picture a military guard, a military post, a military sentry posted to stand guard. That's the picture here. That's the illustration. So to me, the application is very simple. Godly men, dads, be alert. Be on the guard for your family. Now, obviously, there's not a dad here there's not a, who wouldn't you know, do whatever you think you can to protect and provide for your family. And, and, and I really do believe that for the most part, men get this, that, that I even think in some way God has hardwired it into our DNA to be a protector, to be a guardian. But here's the question, how? How do we do that? I think we do it not the way the world tells us to do it, but I think we do it by staying involved, by being engaged, by taking the initiative in your home. 
Men, I cannot overemphasize the importance of this because so often it's so easy for men to think, well, the mom's got the home covered. That's her thing. That's her area. You see, I'm, I'm preoccupied with everything else. I've got to provide. I've got I've to work. No, listen, your wife, your children need you to be engaged. They need you to be involved. Uh, in his uh, autobiography, Harmon Killebrew, kind of a, a pro ball player from another age, another age, another generation, he tells the story of growing up in a home uh, with four boys, four young men. And uh, he tells the story of the time where uh, they were all outside playing ball as young kids, playing ball with their dad in the front yard. And uh, a neighbor walks by and says, Mr. Killebrew, if you keep playing baseball out on your front lawn, you're not going to have any grass left. To which Mr. Killebrew rep- replied, Yeah, probably so. But I'm not raising grass. I'm raising young men. Listen, dads, you don't go to your work for a paycheck. You know, that's not the point of your life. You know, you're you're raising, you know, young men, young women, future godly men, godly women, you know, world changers. Guys, be alert. Be alert to the, the, the changing seasons of your children. Be alert to the enemy who is, who is prowling around like a lion looking to destroy your family. Stay engaged. Take initiative. Number two, stand firm. Paul says, stand firm in the faith. And again, this is another military metaphor. So a soldier stays alert, uh, is engaged, you know, anticipating the attack. And then when it comes, he says, hold your ground. Stand firm. I like the way the, par- uh, the message paraphrases this. It says, hold tight to your convictions. Uh, it's the, the idea here is godly men holding tight to their convictions. In other words, standing firm requires that you know what you believe, why you believe it. Because, and because those beliefs are grounded in the word of God, the Bible, you refuse to be swayed. You stand firm. You're not moved by the changing culture in which we live that changes from day to day, week to week of what is right and what is wrong and what's acceptable and what's not. All these outside pressures and outside opinions. You stand firm on your convictions on the word of God and dads face it. That's not always easy because if you stand too strong to your convictions, you will be labeled. You'll be labeled uh, old-fashioned. You'll be labeled out of step with the times. But it's critically important that you're there to steer and to teach and and to warn your kids about the dangers of this culture, about the dangers of just, you know, the the changing times in which we live and, and, and just, you know, believing and following after anything and everything that comes down the pike. Psalm 119.89 reminds us, what you say goes, God, and stays. In other words, it never changes. It is as permanent as the heavens. In other words, the word of God stands firm and godly men stand firm on the word of God. Now, what does that require? What does that mean? That means you're familiar with the word of God. That means you read it. That means you make this a priority. Men, you take the initiative. You don't, well, you know, the, the home and you know, spiritual things and church, you know, that's all for women and, and for moms. She'll take care of that. No, a man's man, a godly man takes the initiative. He says, we go to church. 
We listen to the word of God. And listen, men, if you want your kids to grow up one day to know the Lord and to spend time in the word and to pray, then you better know the Lord. And you better be spending time in God's word. You better be a man of prayer. You know, far much more in your home is gonna be caught than taught. They gotta see it first in you. Our churches need that. Our families need that. Your marriage needs that. And listen to me, if there are any young adults or any teenagers, students in this room today, if you've got a, a, a father in your home, if you've got a mom in your home that is alert, that is standing guard, that stands firm on the word of God, you have an awesome gift from God. Be thankful. Be grateful. Number three, be, be courageous. Be courageous. Paul says that we are to be alert, stand firm in the faith, and then he says what? Act like men. Now, what did he mean by that? What's he saying? You know, is he just pulling the, you know, the macho man card here? You know, man up. Well, actually he is kind of to a point. But not in the way in which the world means by that. Not the world's way. Not the world's ego-driven iron pumping, macho maniac kind of thing. Not that. That's not what this is talking about. In fact, the NIV translates this, be men of courage. Another translation says to be brave. In fact, in the Greek language, this is the only place in the entire New Testament where this term is used. Aristotle used it to describe a good warrior. And that really fits the progression of this verse. Remember, the sentry stands guard at his post You know, he stays alert. When the attack comes, he holds his ground. He stands firm. And then in the midst of all that, he's got to be brave. In other words, in the heat of the battle, when times get tough, we act like men. Paul is calling for courage here. He's saying you will be under attack. And in in the midst of that attack, Men, real men, you step up. You don't run and hide. Listen, when, when, it, when it gets difficult and hard in your marriage, and it will, you stand firm. You show courage. You, you're, you're to be brave. And listen, don't think John Wayne. Think Jesus. Think Jesus. Proverbs 21, 31 reminds us, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory rests with the Lord. And then Psalm 20, verse seven says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but you, we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So be brave, which leads us to number four, because these two actually really go together. It's remain strong. Again, he says, act like men and be strong. Now, guys will never admit to this. They'll, they'll never really say this out loud. We don't, we, we, we don't want to admit this, but we want to know that we're strong, that we have what it takes. You know, every, every little boy grows up wanting to be a superhero. Every little boy grows up wanting to be a man. But, but here's the truth, the reality of what's happening in our world today. Too many men are looking to the wrong things, the things of this world to define them, to define their manhood. You know, we're told growing up, well, if you can grow up and get the right job and, you know, drive the right car and sleep with the right number of girls, then you're a man. Then you're a man. 
And the reality is that's, that's so messed up. None of those things will, will fulfill you know, you know, the, the longing and the, the yearning in your soul. They'll fall so miserably short in defining what a real man is. Ladies, let me let you in on a little secret about your man. Do you know what the number one need of every man in this room is? It's not sex. Okay, I know it's a shock. Um, because that's, you know, that's what we say, that's what we project, but the number one need of every man is actually affirmation. You know, every man wants to know, am I strong? Am I man enough for you? Do I have what it takes? Ladies, the truth is, most men play for the audience of the loudest applause. Ladies, that's why it's so important that you affirm your man. That you encourage your man. That's why guys flex in the mirror. You know, listen, ladies. Mirrors in a gym. You know, I work out at a gym. Um, Mirrors are in a gym only for two reasons. Okay, for the most part, it's really not for the women. Okay, it's really not. Uh, Two reasons. One, uh, for men to look at themselves uh, while they flex. And two, to get a better look at the other women in the gym, okay? Um, I mean, how many of you ever seen a woman flex in the mirror? I mean, I know sometimes, you know, now the reality is she might spend, spend plenty of time in front of the mirror, but for the most part, she's not flexing, okay? That's a guy thing. In fact, ladies, here's a little experiment right now. Uh, if you're here with a man, uh, I want you to reach over and touch his arm. Just touch his arm right now, every lady. Go ahead and do that. Now, believe it or not, before you touched his arm, every guy in this room flexed. <laughs> they absolutely did. They're like, yeah, touch it. It's rock hard. Go ahead. Now, you don't do that. Guys do that. Now, here's the deal, though. You see, we have tried to define our strength in our manhood through all these different ways. And the Bible says over and over again that our strength comes from the Lord. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We, we, have, we are living in a day and time where the world has robbed men of their true identity. We, we've been given this picture of what, a, of what a real man looks like. And quite honestly, it doesn't look like the picture that we see in the Bible. I want to give you a better picture. I want to give you a biblical picture. Do you know that the Bible says, men, that you were created in the image of God? You were created in the image of the heavenly Father, the almighty God, the creator. And yet so many of you think God is just this distant, weak, you know, elderly grandfather in a rocking chair that has no impact or no influence in the world. If you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what a real man looks like, you look to Jesus. But the truth is, so many of you have this picture of Jesus in your mind that just looks like it was torn out of the picture, uh, the pages of a children's Bible, a children's picture Bible. And you see Jesus as this, you know, sheep carrying, effeminate, sissy man. And no guy ever grows up saying, yeah, I want to be like that. But it's time that you get a new image, that you get a a biblical image. Because the Jesus that I see in the Bible, he was a man's man. 
He was a godly man. He worked with his hands. He was a carpenter. Listen, there was a time where he stood up for what he saw was wrong and he flipped over the tables in the temple and he, he cleared the crowd with a whip because he was so angry at what he saw. There were times where he would call people out. He stood up for what he believed in. Men, listen to me. He carried a cross, a huge tree on the back of his shoulders. They put him on that cross. They nailed him to the cross with railroad spikes through his hands and through his feet, and he died on the cross for your sin and mine. That's a man. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. Men. You were made in that image. You know, and yet we've got these extremes that are told you've got to be, you know, some macho maniac or you've got to be a passive wimp. Don't let the world shrink you down into what they say a man should be. Don't let anybody ever revoke your man card. You are not weak. You are not meant to be a coward. You were created in the biblical image of Jesus. But number five, you are also told to be loving to be loving. You see, go back through this progression. Stay alert, stand firm, be courageous, remain strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And in verse 14, it says, and let all that you do be done in love. Man, what a beautiful, complete picture of what a man is. And listen to me, men, young boys, they need to see that in you. They, they, they need, you know, male role models around them who can balance all of that like Jesus, who can be, you know, firm and courageous and can be on the alert and can stand guard, but they can do all that they do in love. In fact, again, this is, this is 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians. We're at the end of the chapter or end of the book. And if you just go back a few chapters to chapter 13, we all know it's called the love chapter of the Bible. So listen to how the apostle Paul defines true love. 1 Corinthians 13, one through three. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Listen to me, men. For some of you, you, you've gone to this extreme where you just, you know, take care of the work, take care of the job, take care of the paycheck, and you think your job is just to provide and just to protect, and yet you're not loving. And yet you don't know how to, to be loving to your children, to be loving to your wife. Do you know what your, your, what your kids see and hear when you, when you try to discipline them if you don't have love? You're nothing more than what Paul says right here. You're nothing more than a resounding gong or, gong or clanging cymbal because they don't see love in you. He says, if you have the gift of prophecy and you can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, but you don't have love, you're nothing. What's he saying there? He says, you could be as spiritual as you think you can try to be. You can go to church all you want. You can sing songs all you want. You can lift up your hands to Jesus, but you lay a hand on your child in anger. You know what you are? You're nothing, he says. You're nothing. You know, you, you, you gotta be the whole, get the whole picture. Yes, be alert, stand firm. But all that you do better be done in love. He says, you can give all that you possess to the poor, surrender your body to the flames. You can die a martyr's death. But if you're not loving to your wife and to your children, you, you are nothing. You're nothing. You see, you can be the most knowledgeable, the most spiritually gifted person on the planet. But if you don't have love, You've missed the boat. In fact, Jesus once said, he said, this is the most single, the important defining quality of our lives. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you follow me if you love one another. So what does that look like? Well, 
He goes on to tell us in verses four through seven. You know, and yet, and by the way, this is God's love. This is agape love. It's not what the world says. The world says love is sex or an emotion. And what does God's love look like? Now, when I read this, I want you to put your own name in it, okay? Because he begins with, you know, in verse four, love is patient. You put your name there. You know, Chris is patient. Sean is kind. Scott does not envy. You know, I don't boast. I'm not proud. I'm not rude or self-seeking. Listen to this one, men. I'm not easily angered. I don't keep record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. Men, I I don't get excited about the evil that I see in this world. I don't, don't get enamored with that, but I get enamored, rejoice in the truth. And then listen to this. I always protect. I always trust. I always hope. And I always persevere. Because love never fails. In fact, in verse 13, he says, of, of these that remain, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is what? Love. Men, I'm going to close with this. The greatest challenge you're ever going to face in your life is the challenge to live for Jesus in front of your wife, in front of your children, and in front of this world. And the question you've got to ask yourself is this. Am I man enough to do that? Because when you look at your life 10 years from now, 50 years from now, is it going to make any difference whatsoever? I want my life to count for Jesus. And I think there's a lot of men that, that, here, that are here today that want, want that as well. Manhood is, is a gift. So what are you going to do with it? I mean, like a sad, scared little mutant. Are you just going to try to hide and blend in? Or are you going to use it for evil or destruction or for your own selfish purposes? Or you choose to use it for good? The good of your family. The good of God's kingdom. The choice is yours. Men, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, Check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.